I'm actually pretty excited about tonight, um, even though this may seem kind of like a, a topic that m some of you might say, well, this is not of interest to me. The question is about kids and sports. And as we were having this conversation the other day, talking about what we were going to talk about, uh, I found myself being very fascinated because of the way that this radiates into so many areas of family life beyond what we often think of. But I want to, of course, we met, many of you met Dan uh, a while back. This is Ron Davis, who is uh, our, actually our, our maintenance manager here at Calvary. And these guys are our coaches. They've been involved in sports. In fact, Dan, tell us a little bit about your background so where you can speak with some authority to this issue. Well, as I played for the Boston Red Sox and the <laughs> Seattle Seahawks at the same time. Fantasy baseball yeah. is not the same as the real thing. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> okay. Um, actually, uh, growing up, I just played sports. I, I was mainly a, a football, baseball guy growing up. And um, uh, some of you guys know I grew up in the military, so we moved a lot, like every year and a half to two years. And I was extremely shy as a kid. And sports was a way for me to connect with people really quickly, to get instant friends and to um, feel like I'm part of something. And so I just grew up with this love of sports and played through high school, um, uh, tried out for a, a college team when I went away to school, made the team, but realized I was, you know, s school was there. I was, it was at the Air Force Academy, so I had like 13 classes at once and uh, <laughs> just it made no sense for me to do it. But uh, but as I started raising my own kids, I continued to play sports um, while I was single and then married. And, uh, and then when we started having kids, I realized it was time for me to stop playing and start coaching. And um, so I started coaching. I, I think most of you guys know, we, I have, my wife and Janie and I have six kids. And, uh, and I've coached most of them from the time they were little all the way through high school and uh, continued to be involved with some of it even in, in their college days. So. Uh, a lot of a lot of coaching over the years as as our family has grown and as, as our kids have grown up. Yeah, and um, how many years have you been coaching? Oh, uh, probably probably in the thirties. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, been quite a while. Yeah. 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 So he's got a lot of experience. Now, Ron, on the other hand, has had uh, quite a college career. Uh, Ron, tell us a little bit about yourself. You were a school teacher. Yeah. Yeah, I taught for 14 years, um, been an athletic director. Um, I was very fortunate. I grew up in San Diego, baseball hotbed. So I was able to play the game, and uh, it got me my education. I went to Pepperdine University, Gonzaga University. Um, at that point, the head coach asked me, have you thought about coaching? Not a chance. <laughs> um, that was 33 years ago. Yeah, um, It's not something I plan on doing, but as many of you know, God has you put in positions you don't expect. Um, wouldn't trade it for anything. But you also have a baseball academy that you run, right? We do. Uh, we have Spokane Crew, which we have teams all the way from 8U to 19U. Um, right now we're running about 12 teams. So... Again, just a little bit of pedigree so you know what, these guys understand this world and can bring some real perspective to this whole topic. So I'm pretty excited. Um, but uh, I want to begin, I want to do a little bit different tonight because I'm going to get down here on the floor. So we have a few questions and, and also if you have questions, I want to be able to bring the mic to you and have you ask your question as well. So I've always wanted to be Phil Donahue, but my hair hasn't turned the right color yet. So it's kind of like some of you don't even know who Phil Donahue Donahue is. That's how bad that is. Anyway, but uh, I want to begin by, by asking a question, kind of a clear the decks a little bit here, because one of the questions that often comes up from uh, Christians, especially those who read their Bibles, is that Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he makes this statement. He said, um, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And I guess I want to begin with that point with many times people ask the question, is it uh, appropriate or even godly for people to go into athletics? That is the competitive aspect unhealthy? Uh, or should we just tell our kids, you know, kind of like the ultra-Orthodox Jew does, you know, don't do anything except read the Torah. Maybe we should tell our kids just read the Bible and, and forget about athletics and 
sports. Do you see value in it? I mean, would you, you obviously had your children in sports, but you guys are terrible parents, so. <laughs> no, but uh, if you can speak on that a bit, I think yeah. you guys can really maybe help some of us to understand how we can approach this. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and start with this. I think that, um, uh, I, I think that we always talk about the life lessons that you learn in sports, that um, there are things that I learned more deeply and at a, at a stronger level in sports than I would have ever learned just going to school or, or being in studies or, or some other form. I think you, when you learn how to um, be part of a team and work together and encourage one another and to follow um, direction and uh, be submissive to authority that's placed over you, there's just so many things that you can learn. And I think that carries through with, um, with, with children as we're doing this. I think when, you know, um, it's, to me it's the same thing. We're, call, we're called to be infused into the world. And I think um, sports is a, is a great way for Christians to be able to have a platform and to um, be influential to others that may, maybe don't know Jesus. Um, so I, I think, I've always said that I think um, sports is a, is a great way for Christians to become part of, uh, of the community and to do actually outreach in, in a sense. Yeah, I agree. Um, most of my time spent, I've, like I said, now I work primarily with 17 to 20 year old young men and finding more and more outside of school and stuff, they don't have those things where they have an influence in their life. Uh, I have 42 year old men now that still come back and we can talk. Um, I don't see those relationships. I would have had that kind of time with them outside the athletic area. Well, that, it's interesting because that kind of brings up uh, one of the questions that we were asked and relate to this is, is that whole dynamic of the relationship building that goes on. Because uh, this one question says, our kids join teams and some of the coaches or the kids in the team use profanities or behave in unacceptable ways. And I guess, you know, the real question is, how do we put, do we want to put our kids into that environment and watch them being influenced in an unhealthy way? And is there a way that that can be controlled? Well, um, a story that comes to mind for me is um, I was coaching Little League a few years back uh, with my youngest son, and we had a great group of kids, 10 to 12-year-olds, and um, I just thought we had the greatest thing going. And I got a call from one of the moms, and she said, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, some of your kids are, are swearing in practice. I'm like, I had no idea. And, and you know, as a coach, you, you know, and, I, and I could tell, as soon as she said it, I knew exactly when they were doing it. It was when I sent them out to the outfield, and I'm hitting them fly balls. So guys are all together, they're grabbing each other, wrestling around, doing all kinds of stuff, and I knew that's when it happened. So, so I just pulled the boys together and just said, you know, that's absolutely unacceptable. And if I find out that you're, you're doing this, if, you're, if I find out you're swearing, or any of these number of things, um, you won't be playing. So it's an opportunity, but I think it's the same thing with trying to shelter our kids in, even in the school setting. They're going to be exposed to it. It's a teaching opportunity. It's a way to, to help them understand how to go through that process and maybe influence others. What do you think, Ron? <laughs> what do you do when you, when you look? I mean, you know, you know I, I share with you about how I, I took my kids to one of their ball games and the coaches got in a fist fight. You know, I mean, they're talking about sixth grade boys and the coaches. I mean, I was, I, I just, you know, I, I almost felt done at that point. <laughs> it, like Dan said, it's also part of they're going to be exposed to these things. I know when I work with my guys, I try to tell them you, there's always something to learn. You can learn how not to do things should you ever get in this situation as well as how to do things. I, I'll be honest, I had coaches that were absolutely terrible that had just as much an impact on me as those that were really good because I don't want to be that guy. Hmm. Um, and you know, in, dealing with 17 to 20 year old young men Language flies. It does. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Seriously? Um, but the nice you run it. <laughs> the nice thing is, is I, I'll be honest, I had a kid that came to me three years ago. I couldn't stand him. It's like, I'm going to wring his neck. Everything coming out of his mouth was just horrible. To the point now where he's a 20-year-old young man that's very respectful, mm -hmm. that actually takes the younger ones and says, hey, 
we don't do that here. Now, if you had your kid in a, on a team and you saw stuff going on, you had a parent come to you. Yeah. What would you recommend a parent do? Well, that's a, that's a great point. And I was thinking this as, as Ron was talking. The, the other perspective of that is how to approach coaches. It's the same thing with how do you approach teachers. We have kids. We know how they are. We see them every day. And, uh, and yet sometimes they can manipulate me into working into a frenzy because somebody <laughs> said this to them and I'm, I'm, I'm all worked up. And then I have to stop and think, wait a second. Okay, this is my son. I need to put in perspective, number one. I need to run it through a filter. And then I need to graciously approach that authority figure, whoever they are, whether it's a coach or a teacher, and say, and give them a chance to explain and have a calm, gracious conversation in that process. And I found that that individual, the way she did it to me, she didn't come in, she wasn't accusing me of being a terrible coach or allowing things to happen. She said, I just want you to be aware of this. And those are, as from a coach's perspective, those are the parents you trust the most because you know they don't have an agenda. All they want to do is help you get better as a coach and make sure the environment for their child is safe. I have no problem with that whatsoever. It's the parents who hear one thing from their kids and they immediately come after you because they think their child has been wrong. I'm not saying they haven't been, but let's have a conversation about it so that I can at least share from my perspective what happened and, and what actually went on. You ever have that happen to you, Ron? <laughs> Once or twice. Um, and Dan's right. I'm always willing to talk to a parent, and a lot of it is the approach of that parent. Um, I know for our program, we have a rule that you don't approach a coach for 24 hours after a game. One, because your emotions are extremely high, your child's emotions, and then you throw that coach into a situation, win or lose, its brain isn't even there. So that time away, one gives you perspective, kind of let the emotions settle. It's amazing how a rational conversation is much more productive. Yeah. Do you want to, I, I shared a story with these guys uh, yesterday when we were talking, and it was, um, it shows you the two perspectives of parent interaction. It was, I was coaching years ago, my oldest son, uh, 13, 14 year old team, it was in town, it was a pony game, it was really intense, we were going back and forth with this team. We're playing this team who's, the coach was a psycho. And his son was the catcher on the other team and his son was as crazy as he was. And at one point in the game, I see the, his son flip off my parents. And my parents are gonna come through the fence after this kid and I'm holding them back on woo woo. And the coach is coming over yelling at me about my parents and I'm trying to keep peace in this whole thing. And it was insanity through the whole thing. So, um, so I go uh, through the game. It's it's back and forth. I go. Over, I'm coaching third base. The other team's parents were over there. A couple of moms were sitting there, and they're like, before, right before the game, the innings get started, they're like, Coach, there's a there's a baseball right here. And I'm thinking, why don't you pick up the baseball? <laughs> but I go over and I grab it and I flick it over. And so the game goes on. We end up losing by in the bottom of the last inning. It was a tough one. I got to congratulate the coach, those kids, my kids. Talk about what a great great game they had. And as I'm leaving there, and I'm just spent from this game, one of my moms walks up and says, I need to talk to you. You are breaking a young man's spirit. And I'm just like, who is that? She goes, my son. And I said, how am I doing that? You're not letting him play catcher. You told him he could play catcher. I said, your son can't throw down to second base. You have to be able to throw down to second base to play catcher. You told him that he could play catcher at least half the games. And I said, I never said that. I wouldn't have said that to him. I said, it's my job to put your son in a position to be successful. That's my role. I want him to get to that point where he's confident enough and has the ability to play catcher, if that's his goal, and be successful in it and move on instead of having a bad experience, blah, blah, blah. So she walks away, and I'm like, oh my goodness, man, I just need to go home. And then these two moms from the other team walk up. I'm like, oh, I don't have anything left in me right now. <laughs> And they said, can we talk to you? And I said, yes, I guess so. And they, they said, um, we just wanted you to know that we've been watching the way you coach your boys. And we just really appreciate the way you handle your kids. And we wish you coached our kids. I'm like, thank you so much. <laughs> That's really nice of you. I got to go. <laughs> but it's two different perspectives. And it's not, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to um, sound mean to the first mom. She, she was looking out for her son. 
But she didn't come to me first and say, can we talk about this? She just assumed that her son, uh, who, was, who was feeling frustrated that he wasn't playing this position he wanted to, um, and that I had somehow lied to him. So it's all about, let's just sit down and talk. Let's have a conversation. And I think if any, you know, if any of you have kids that are either in sports right now or are going to get to that point, there's, there aren't too many things I can share with you more important than, you know, most of the time, these are just volunteer dads or moms that are out there giving their time and their energy to try and create a great experience for your kids and theirs. Give them the benefit of the doubt. One thing I always say it, when I'm a dad in the stands and I hear someone talking about the coaches, I'm like, hang on a second, man. We're not there during practice. You know, the coach's job is not, the coach doesn't show up and try and lose games. The coach looks at what they have and tries to put something together that will be the best thing out on the field. They're not trying to purposely lose this game. So just keep it in perspective. So you don't coach for the money. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't Little League pay really good? <laughs> yeah. I think like. that's one of the things that always kind of amazes me is that we're talking about, in most cases, it's men and women who are volunteering their time because of the love of the game, love of the kids. They're doing the best they can. They're holding down a job. They may have family of their own. I mean, and then you find people start chipping away at them about the yeah. job they're doing. And I think, well, why don't you go do it? Right. I mean, it's like, it's just a... Uh, you know, we should be really thanking these parents who do this. If your kids are on teams, you should really be kind of building them up and just appreciating the fact that they're out there and you're not making you do it. So, uh, and, I, and I'll say, I, honestly, I believe the vast majority of parents are good people and do appreciate it. But it's amazing how one parent in a season can make it. It's just, it's, it's horrible. You, you know, you're, you're, you don't want to go to that game. You don't want to coach. You just feel beat up. You're getting accused of things. And, you're, and you think about it, there are all these parents who support you and care about you and say you're doing a great job, and one person can be that cancer that just tears you up. Well, let me, let me ask you this, then. What is it that you've seen as the dynamic in that parent or that personality? I mean, what are you... No, I don't. I mean, aside from the fact that they may be just a, a sociopath, yeah. but <laughs> no. But seriously, I mean, is there there a mindset that a lot of parents are approaching youth sports today that's essentially unhealthy? I think there's a couple things that contribute to that. One, and I had an athletic director from we went to a conference that this AD from Texas said, you have to remember you're dealing with this parent's most precious possession. Kind of throws things in perspective. That's where that emotion comes in. Hey, this is your child. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be honest with you. As a coach, I have a parent meeting every year. I tell the parents, you're the parent. Your job is to be here to support your kid. Tell them how good they're doing. You love them. I'm coach. Not my job. Mm -hmm. That's what you're there for. I'm going to tell them when they need to fix things, get better at things. Um, I think the other perspective that kind of gets in, into it is the scholarship and the money thing. Um, our society right now is very much motivated. How do I get my child that scholarship to get their education paid for? How do they get that big money contract? Um, I've paid all this money for them to play. They're entitled to this. Um, that really kind of creates that issue of you're holding my child back. Um, I'll be honest with you. We have we, part of the this academy. What helps us is we get to talk to the parents as well. Division one baseball, there's 11.4 scholarships per team. And you carry 35 guys on a team. One or two guys are getting all that money, and I'll guarantee it's a pitcher. <laughs> I'll guarantee it. It's coming from the mouth of a pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're going into it with that perspective that there's something to be made from this, you're better off investing your money in your child's education, honestly. Um, I'm not saying squelch that dream because everybody wants that opportunity, and I'm all for that. But if, if you think spending the money is going to get you something, right now, it's not going there. Um, we so you're saying that if my kid, if I put him through all this stuff, that he, his, it's, he may not get a scholarship? <laughs> and Very he, likely. <laughs> and he may not go to the pros. Yeah, it might not happen. But my kid's really good. <laughs> And I think we talk statistically. 1% yeah. of every high school, so all the high school athletes in the country, 1% make it to college. 
whether that be Division One, Division Two, Three, NAIA, one percent, and that one percent isn't all on scholarship. From there, one tenth of that one percent ever make it to the bigs. What about the pros? That's the bigs, Ken. Yes. You got to know the lingo. <laughs> the bigs. The bigs. Big leagues. You know, a little something we throw out there. <laughs> Well, the other perspective, uh, the other side of that is that um, one, one thing that I would share with parents uh, I heard somewhere is that for every $1 of athletic scholarship out there, there's $40 of academic money available. Where should your kids be focused? In a book. They should be studying. That's what we should focus on. And I think when we, Ron touched on it, the, the idea of the scholarship, the scholarship has become the holy grail. You hear parents talking about it all the time, scholarships, so-and-so's looking at them. I think we can get a scholarship. And you're like, when you make the scholarship the ultimate goal, when a kid gets one and goes to school, nine times out of 10, I've seen him go, well, I met my goal. This is a lot of hard work. It's not fun like it used to be, and I'm done. I mean, seriously, how many kids do we know that have finally earned that second level, that next level, and just walked away from the sport? because? They had met the goal that they had set, and it wasn't fun anymore. Well, we talked a little bit about uh, major league the, in the bigs. The bigs, yeah, Ken. Yeah. So how many, how many professional baseball players are there in the world, at, at, in the majors? You're looking at about 650 at the highest level mm -hmm. from around the world. Not, so, just, not just the U.S., around the world. So we're talking about Cuba, Dominican Republic, Brazil, China, Australia, Australia Japan. South Korea, Japan, yeah. um, Antarctica. There's a couple. There. <laughs> the Eskimo leagues are oh, really they're tough. They're so good in those fall games. It's <laughs> really cold. They can play in all conditions. <laughs> yeah, you, you, in fact, they kind of hit a frozen rope, actually. Shatata. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> I guess the reason why I emphasize that is because you really do hear parents who kind of fantasize that their kid is going to make it that way, and, and it's kind of like a Jim Carrey one in a million. Yeah. yeah. You know, when I, when I was growing up, um, when I was little, my parents came to a, quite a few things. When I got to high school, my mom and dad came to one football game and one baseball game in all four years of high school. I didn't care. It was my deal. It wasn't their deal. They're just, you know, they're, the best advice I ever got from my dad was I got yanked from a game at the end. At the end, I was actually up to, play, up to the plate with a game on the line. My coach pulls me, throws in a sophomore. I'm a senior, throws in a sophomore who strikes out, ends the game, and I am furious. And I go home, and my dad sees that I'm upset, and he said, what happened? I tell him, and he goes, well, did you talk to the coach? I'm like, well, no. Why would I do that? This is easier just to vent to you. <laughs> But it was the best advice, and I would say that to, to any parent who has their child in sports. If they come home upset about something, did you talk to your coach? Because that's the, the first place. We need to teach them how to, uh, I heard this, this phrase today, I'm probably going to mess it up, but how to um, it basically um, uh, confront something in a positive way. And that's how we do it. With authority, if a police officer pulls me over for speeding, I don't immediately start barking at him because he pulled me over, or at least I shouldn't. <laughs> it, it should be about, yes, I did do that, but can I, ask, can I give you this little bit of information? I mean, it's all about teaching them life lessons so that they know how to handle themselves as adults. Go ahead, Ron. And that's one of the first things with our program. We tell them, we're more than happy to talk to you as parent. I really want to hear from your son first. Because most of the kids I'm dealing with are looking at going to college. They're, they're in that situation, get that opportunity. I guarantee you, as mom or dad, you go talk to coach instead of your son, your son will be home with you very soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's fascinating. Um, let me switch a little bit here. We've got a question. This is from a single mom. And uh, she's having a son who is being defiant, which I think is the definition of the teen years. Um, <laughs> And she says, I told him he has to go to church, and my son is making excuses on why and is stubborn, and he, he gets good grades. He loves basketball, but he loves his electronics. Um, she let him stay home, she said, tonight, but what can she do? Should she take sports away from him or electronics or things like that away from him to punish him for not coming to church? You got it? You want me to? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I... 
I guess I'm of the mindset um, that the majority of the time, it's not good to remove sports from your kids, but you know your kids best. You really have to look at the situation individually. The way I look at it is so many kids that, um, that I know, and myself included, whenever I was playing sports, my grades went up. I had more confidence in who I was. I felt good about myself. And, and for some of these kids, that's the only positive thing in their life is athletics. And so to remove that, I understand you're looking for that thing that they love the most, that can hurt the most as a disciplinary action. I get that. But I don't know um, in every situation that that's the best thing. On top of that, they have a commitment to that team and that coach that they will be there. And if we step in and say, no, you can't, um, that's breaking their commitment to the team. So I would just say I'd be really careful. But what do you think? Well, I think the other end of that is, too, you take that away from them, isn't necessarily going to get the results you want, or is it going to build more resentment? Then fine, I can't do this, and there's no way I want any part of church. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we always try, and I know with my own kids, always try to get them to understand, approach this thing the right way, keep God first in what you're doing, things are going to be a whole lot better. I know for myself, when I came up playing ball, I, I was very fortunate again, drafted out of high school, it was all about me. This is what I can do. Fortunately, somebody reached me at 18 years of age and said, no, it's not about you. You don't put God first, this is gone. Um, I know once that I put God into that, the game became way more fun. Um, it no longer was drudgery, I didn't hate practice. I get to, I get to do this. Well, let, let, me, let's, let me push this a little bit, get personal here a minute. Did you have to deal with your kids being defiant uh, at some point, and how did you respond to that? I mean, I know like, all my like, kids just did everything I told right, them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you, Ken, I think. <laughs> You mean in the, in the terms of, of athletics or just... Just in the family situation, you go through this defiance thing. Is it, it, I mean, that's... Uh, because I know that's a really, really frustrating and, and concerning space to be in when your kid is getting big enough to say no. I, one of the things I've, I've figured out about parenting is, and you can't do this with everything, but I think when you lay down the rules and the consequences beforehand, uh, and then they break the rules and they're defiant, it's much easier to discipline in that, in that setting because all you have to do is point back to the rules and say, this, remember this consequence over here? Mm -hmm. And then I don't have to get, when I get angry and I start to elevate, it's when I feel out of control, like I don't know what to do. And sometimes I think in parenting, it's best to just take a, take a time out and just say, I got to think about this one and just really take it to the Lord and say, how do I, how do I handle this? Mm -hmm. I don't know if that helped at all. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I think setting those boundaries ahead of time. I know as a teacher, I, people would come in and like, how do you get these kids to do that? They know the boundaries. Mm -hmm. Once they understand, okay, you've crossed the boundaries, here's your consequences. The kids want those. They want it want you to tell them this is where we need to be by the end of the year i'm just kicking back go do your thing yeah i think as a parent that when you start trying to think of ways that you can uh, control their behavior um you're kind of heading in the wrong direction because what you want to do is give them as many opportunities to express themselves positively as you possibly can so you want to be opening doors not closing doors and uh that's one of the things I think you can sit down and really, I, I found that when I'd get down and just talk to God about saying, I, I'm losing control of the situation, I don't know how to deal with it, I need you to tell me what to do. It, it's interesting because you do get these kind of revelations from God like, oh, I never thought about that. And I, would, and I think the biggest concern I have with a defiant child is, uh, are they simply being defiant or is there something that's really causing pain in their life that they're not able to express in a positive way? And I think that's how it, it comes out sometimes. Um, I think you, I, I, I really do believe you, it takes a, a long time, I think, to build that trust. If you, you know, if I've ignored my child till the time he's 13, all of a sudden I realize, oh, I got to get involved as a parent here and figure this out. Uh, it's going to take me a while before that child trusts me enough to really open up. If I'm starting from the time they're little and I'm creating an environment where, number one, it's okay to make a mistake 
And when you make a mistake, I'm not going to whack you. We're going to sit down and talk about it. And maybe there's consequences, maybe there's not. But it's always a teaching thing. That was the biggest thing for me in raising kids was when I, I realized that the, I could get more out of my kids when I used those moments as teaching moments. And it was discipline instead of punishment. I think I grew up, I think a lot of us grew up in an environment where it was punishment when we grew up. Uh, the belt was not spared. Uh, a lot of things were, you know, we, my parents would have gotten turned in so many times. <laughs> but everybody's parents would because that's the way it was back then. And, and to, to have to relearn those skills that you were taught as a child, relearn them as an adult and say, God, how can I really have a greater influence on my child and help them grow up to become... Uh, a follower of you and a functioning member of society who loves others and cares about people, I have to change how I parent so that I model to them what, what he models to me. Do you want to add anything, Ron? No, we're good on that one. We're good. <laughs> like, can we move on? Yeah. Well, here's a little bit different question. Uh, why are there so many concussions in sports every year? Particularly about, uh, well, we understand in baseball, you hit a guy in the head with a ball, it's going to, but, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Being in the, in the sports world still, I don't necessarily think there's more concussions. We're more aware. When we played, you didn't get a concussion, you got your bell rung. And you went back out, you, went, you got after it. We are, as coaches now, I mean, we, we're mandated by state laws that if we even consider a kid having a concussion, you're out. They cannot re-enter play until they see a doctor in this state that clears them. So it's become very, what's the word I'm looking for? It's been put out there through the media so much. The awareness level is really yeah, high. Yeah, it's right? huge. And not that it shouldn't be. Um, you know, it's our generation that's now coming out where they're coming out with these brain diseases because of all the shots we took um, but technology is also getting better um, teaching skills are getting better you look at the Seahawks the way they tackle that is way different than anything we were ever taught yeah. so I don't necessarily think there's more we're just more aware you'd say the general skill level has gone up in <laughs> athletics a little bit you throw in nutrition genetics training and kids now, right or wrong, I personally don't agree with that, but they tend to become more specialized at a very young age. So their proficiency at whatever sport they're going after is way above anything we were. Because we were outside, and this is the one difference, we were outside playing, they're in playing video games. Mm -hmm. But when they get to their sport, that's where they're at. I, and I, I will tell you, all you have to do is watch uh, ESPN Classics, mm. where they show like, baseball games from the 70s or football games from the 60s and 70s. And I will point my finger at those professional players and say, go watch a high school game. The high school athletes are far better than those professional ones were back then. The skill level, the fundamentals, the speed, quickness, the strength. All, you know, when, we, when I was in high school in the 70s, that was a long time ago, uh, we, had, we didn't have like weights. We didn't have like weights. We had a universal gym. And we were so progressive because we had that. The Universal Gym was this big contraption that had like a military press on one side, a bench press on the other. And they weren't free weights. They were all mechanical. You'll, you'll see them around. But we didn't use it. Uh, and nowadays, uh, you see middle schoolers that are invested in weight training programs to get going. And every high school, if you're going to compete with another high school, if you're going to be decent at all, you've got to have a weight training program going on. Things have just changed that dramatically over the years. Well, and what goes along with that, too, is we're trying to keep your kids healthy. The, the wear and tear the body takes playing any sport is amazing. Um, I'm no secret. I'm 52 years old. I know I've got a hip replacement coming. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I was how old in the 70s? Never mind. <laughs> Continue on, Ron. <laughs> Don't waste any time on that comment. Move forward, please. It's... It, the abuse that the body goes through without that training, you're not going to make it very long. So the, the training it serves two purposes, keep you healthy. But on the top of that, you hear about ACL tears. Well, I've talked to a few of the trainers in the area. 
think about how big those muscles are. The muscles keep getting bigger, stronger. The connective tissue doesn't. So it tears easier. And so you have more of those issues. Yeah, it's, it, now it's interesting because I, I have a, a niece who was one of the top volleyball players, high, college level. She was, played four years varsity at Fresno State, one of the top players in the world, recruited overseas and other places to play volleyball. Um, plays like a man, pretty scary actually. Um, but here she is now, she's out of college and she has permanent disabilities from injuries that she got playing. Is it worse for girls than it is for guys? Yes. Yeah, I, I just think, especially at the levels that the that the, the girls play at nowadays, I mean, they're, they're playing at the levels that the guys play at. Maybe it's a different sport, but they're training just as bit as hard. And, and I don't think a female's body was meant to, um, to, to endure that type of training and, um, and, and competition for that many years at that level that they are now. And so I think it, from what I've seen, the breakdown is far, far greater. I mean, my my daughter Peyton, um, uh, our daughter Peyton played uh, softball at Whitworth for for four years and and uh, really did well. And uh, she's got chronic back issues now and um, back mainly, but her shoulder too. And you just think you know she played she played hard. She played really because that's what we teach them: play hard. Mm-hmm. Well, they play hard, and their body's not meant to play that hard. And and part of that's just physiologically the way things are put together with women that they have incredibly high incidence of ACL tears, but just because, just for the way that they're built, regardless of the training, they're at much higher risk. And my kids all played sports too, all same thing, had an opportunity to move on. Uh, The two youngest finally just said, you know what, I'm tired of being beat up. It's, I'm tired. Yeah. Well, it's, it's fascinating because I think we live in a culture that really does kind of raise it almost to gladiator status like it was in Rome. The gladiators were the super athletes that everybody looked to. And, uh, and, and they had some, you know, some built-in disabilities, you know, usually beheadings and things like that. But uh, <laughs> fighting to the death, you know, it was kind of serious. But <laughs> They didn't just sit you on the bench if you messed up. Yeah. You lost your head. <laughs> yeah. It was <laughs> so anyway, when I, but I, I look at our culture and I look at the emphasis that's there and, and kind of the idea, you know, we, we, we wear a Russell Wilson jersey, you know, to church on Sunday morning. Uh, because we're, you know, such admirers of his athleticism and all the things that go with it. But is that really a life that we would necessarily want our kids to experience? I think part of the thing there, and I had this discussion with my kids, one, be careful who you idolize. Still a man. Number two, are you willing to sacrifice what that's going to take? And I think that's what people really miss is, I know I enjoyed baseball to no end. That's what I wanted to do. But even in college, never went to a movie. We were with the team all the time. We, when you ate out, that meant McDonald's between games. Um, we didn't have those things outside of it. That's the sacrifice we made. We wanted to do that. I have a player that I had this last year. He couldn't play one year, sat out a year, played for me last summer. Dad is thrilled, kids playing. He gets picked up by a college on the west side. He goes to coach two weeks after he's over there and says, coach, I'm done. The only reason I was here is because mom and dad wanted me to play anyway. I'm 20 years old. We want the best for our kids, but I think we have to listen to them what they think is best for them. So if they don't have that fire inside of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's uh, some of my best times, my best memories are um, traveling with one of my kids to play summer ball. But I was just being a dad. I didn't, I wasn't coaching them. I wasn't trying to tell them what they were doing right, what they were doing wrong. I was looking for a couple of good things that they did during the game so that I could talk to them about that and say, gosh, the way you did that was so cool. And I'd stay away from all the negative stuff. And that's not, that's not like coddling your kid. I think you're, you're spending this time with them. You want this to be this great memory so that they do it for them and not for you. If they sense that the value 
that you have in your eyes for them is based on how they perform, uh, that is a messed up relationship. What we need to be is the cheerleader, as a parent, be the cheerleader for them, not the coach. Not ride them after games and tell them all the things they did wrong, what they need to do differently. We need to just let them enjoy it. It is their thing, it is not our thing. They're gonna make us proud no matter what, and the more we can back out and let it be their thing, the more fun they're gonna have, the more enjoyment. And when they get to the hard times, whether it be in high school or if they get a chance to play beyond that, when it gets hard, they're gonna be doing it for them, not for you and I. If I could leave you that, with that one, that one thought, it is, it is their thing. Let it be their thing. Be there, be there for them, to support them, to love them, to inspire them, all those things, but don't try and be their coach. I was in a real unique situation. Like I said, I didn't want to coach, but as it turned out, I ended up coaching all three of my kids all the way through high school. And I'd watched families just get torn apart because coach is still coach at home. So we, we tried real hard to stay with it. When we crossed the lines, either onto the court or onto the field, I was no longer dad. I'm coach. I'm going to treat you like I do everybody else, probably a little harder. I think they'd probably tell you that. But once we got off there, I'm dad again. And I really don't want to discuss this unless you want to. That not only helped our relationship, it helped me become a better coach because Dan was my assistant out at Riverside for a while. We had a deal where the kids had to ride the bus to and from the game. Didn't always make parents happy. We were going to take them out. They need to be on the bus. It served two purposes. One, if things didn't go well, they're not getting hammered on the way home. But number two, I was able to sit back. We didn't even talk to them about the game until the next day. To listen to those kids sit in that bus and break things down amongst themselves. They're learning. They're putting things into perspective. Then when we talked that next day, boy, the feedback we got was incredible. Um, and I, I had the opportunity to watch my youngest play college basketball. I had more fun sitting in that stands, not saying a word, just watching than the years that she's got to listen to me on the bench. Well, it, you know, it's a couple of things that came to my mind. First of all, what you're saying, Dan, just reminded me a lot of Jesus. Because Jesus is our coach. <laughs> and, and, and he loves us when we fumble and strike out and <laughs> run to the wrong base. <laughs> and it's amazing because his, his constant source of grace, and I think that portraying the, the heart of God through Christ towards our kids is a real key thing. But it's, it's also, I think, what really strikes me is this, uh, I go back to the single mom who's trying to uh, relate to her kids' struggles. I just wonder, and I don't know this for a fact, but I just wonder if it wouldn't be helpful to, for her to have a heightened interest in his sports, rather than seeing it as something punitive, but rather saying, can I come to your games? I, I t tell me about your game, tell me how, it went. Does, that, does that make a difference? Huge difference because some of those kids that I still have relationships with, I never saw their parents in four years. We have that relationship. Hmm. The, yeah, it, I know my mom and dad went to my games. I will never ever forget that because they were interested in what I wanted. And they didn't dislike you when you gave up that winning home run? <laughs> <laughs> Baseball, game of failure. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, we've got a few minutes left. I don't know. Does anybody have a question you'd like to ask? Yeah, Butch. Here. What do you say to young uh, Christian men or women or just uh, non-Christians, uh, how Tim Trebo got treated in the media and by the, by the world in general? <laughs> you're talking about Tim Tebow? Is that yeah. what you just asked? Yeah. Uh, you know... Tim Tebow um, was quarterback for Florida, um, Heisman, Heisman Trophy winner, was uh, drafted in the first round by the Denver Broncos, uh, played for the Broncos one year, one yeah. year, uh, led him to uh, a playoff win against Pittsburgh, uh, but John Elway, who was the kind of the quintessential quarterback, didn't like his style, and he was gone the next year. In the meantime, Tim Tebow was raised by missionaries, and um, and it was his platform, and so he would... He would do the kneel when he scored. He'd kneel down in the end zone as if he praying, and I'm sure he was praying. Uh, he would always talk about Jesus and his influence in his life, and he really used it as a great, a great platform. And 
Um, and he was just brutalized, not only by the media, but also by uh, the football world. You know, he's not a quarterback. What is he doing? He's not. A, and, and I think, you know, that's a byproduct of our society that, you know, you find value in the athletic ability, not, maybe not so much in the person and their message. Uh, and I would say, um, but he knows that. I mean, Tim's, Tim's not a stupid guy. He knew that going out there, he was going to be fair game, just like we all are. The moment we're in our workplace environment and we say we're a Christian, everyone looks at us with a different set of eyes. We have this new higher standard that we have to live up to, and we're under a microscope. That's just life. I mean, that's just the way it is. And so it's up to us to uh, not only try and live up to that, but when we fail, which is going to be often, we use that, that opportunity to... Um, to ask for forgiveness mm. and to show that we're not perfect, but the one we follow is. But I don't know if that answers your question, Butch, but uh, he, he got roughed up pretty good. I was just going to say, do you ever talk to your, your young kids about that, about hmm. not letting that dissuade dis- them from, from putting God out there amongst their peers? We don't have kids that are that good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Not really, but I'm yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know I'm, I'm unique in my situation where I am at with our organization. I have free ability to talk to these kids about anything I want. The coaches in the public school system, not quite so much. I know we have to instill in them, you do what you're going to do. You're going to have critics anyway, but do what you're going to do. From my own experience, when I go do the things that I know are glorifying to God, go ahead and bring it. It's okay. Well, it reminds me of what Paul said, that whether in pretense or truth the gospel is preached, as I think there was a, recently there was a presidential candidate who uh, took advantage of his notoriety to get um, billions of dollars of free airtime. <laughs> it may not have all been positive, but it's, it's almost one of those things. It reminded me of the businessman who once said, uh, say something about me. It can be bad, it can be good, I don't care, as long as you're talking about me. <laughs> and, and it's the idea that what it, even though Tim is being attacked, notice how even now he continues to find platforms that allow him to share Christ yeah. that, you know, he wouldn't have had if he hadn't have been so upfront and hadn't taken all that abuse because he's really, I mean, he's a guy to pray for, but I'm amazed at his courage and his straightforwardness and his, just his testimony. I mean, if I'd had those kind of things said about me, you know, I, I, I would have gone home crying a long time ago. It's just, a, you know, because I told these guys, I said, I really, I could have played pro ball. I only lack talent, ability, physical attributes, uh, skill. But other than those few minor issues, I was a shoe-in. So, uh, well, you had question. the hair for it, for sure. <laughs> yeah. My question is, how did you guys handle parents that were just making their kids go to, to, to do, it, do it, and they didn't want to do it? How did you guys deal with that? The kid doesn't want to be there. Yeah, we got a, quite a few of those out at Riverside. <laughs> Didn't want to be there. Well, we're not talking about your kids. I mean, talking about right. oh, oh, other parents. Oh, sure. I think that's twofold. I, my oldest child um, wanted to play basketball, and about halfway through the first year, she goes, "I want to be done." And I'm very fortunate to have a wife that we can sit and discuss these things, and she. She said it before I did. You're not quitting. You're going to finish this year out. Next year, if you don't want to play, that's okay. I think we need to instill in them, you made a commitment. And this commitment isn't just to you. It's to your teammates. In that process, you're teaching them, this isn't just about me. And, and, and to follow up on those kids specifically, you know, it's our job not only to uh, teach the, the kids the game at the highest level, teach life lessons, but also to make it fun. Mm-hmm. And so even for the kids who don't want to be out there to play that sport specifically, I think we can still make it a fun environment so that while they're there, um, they, get a, they get to see the positive uh, reasons for playing sports. You know, I go back to something you said earlier about if the kid doesn't have that burning in his own heart, I just wonder sometimes if parents, instead of saying, you're going to do this, I did this, and this is what you're going to do, if they could really kind of negotiate with the kid, mm-hmm. I want you to try it, mm-hmm. and if you don't like it, 
fine, we're done, but find something. Because I think that's really the key with every kid. You have, every kid needs to find something that they feel that they're competent at. You know, we sometimes think they have to be the greatest and excellent. They don't. But they need to have something that they feel that they're competent at doing. And uh, give, find out what that is. And if it's not going to be sports, because I had, you know, uh, I had a couple of kids who were really gifted athletically and a couple of kids that were not. <laughs> and they recognized that. I was telling those guys with my son Brian, I remember at 13, uh, at 12 years old, we went to NBC basketball camp together, father-son thing. And we had this great time. It was a lot of fun. It, the level of competition wasn't real great, especially with me out there on the court. But uh, I did a lot of blocking. Uh, <laughs> they didn't tell me the tackling wasn't part of football, or baseball, basketball. Anyway, but the second year, he went by himself as a 13-year-old, and he came back from camp, and I said, how was it? And he said, I decided that I'm done with sports. And I said, why? He said, because so many of these guys are so incredibly good. I know that I can never perform at that level. So what are you going to do? I want to be a drummer. <laughs> now, that's when I really wanted him to go into sports. You do not want a drummer in the basement. <laughs> but, you know, that's how he ended up getting into music and going in that direction, which really ended up being where he was. But if I had insisted, no, I want you to keep on going out there and making Dad proud, well, you know, it, it, I would just frustrated him. And he probably would have become that angry young man and problems do. So it's really part of that thing, finding that thing that your kid can do that makes him or her feel like, you know, I, there's something I can really be proud of and, and invest myself in and, and make a difference. Uh, we all need that. And um, that's one of the greatest gifts I think you can give in life. So anyway, we are out of time. So I want to end on time. And I want to thank you. For the questions you submitted, I want to thank you for even being here. And I thought this was a great discussion. You want to give these guys a hand for the job they did? <laughs> All those years of coaching, you finally got your reward. <laughs> Let's have a word of prayer and we'll call a night. Father God, I just thank you for, for Dan uh, and the experience that he's brought. I thank you for Ron for just the insights and the wisdom that he's imparted tonight to us about this issue of sports. And I pray, Father, as, as parents, as grandparents, uh, you just give us a lot of insight that we can apply to the kids that we're influencing. That we know that, Lord, it's a, it's a tough journey for young people today in this world. And we just pray, God, that we could be that place of safety and that place of influence that could make a difference to help shape and form them into the future leaders, not only in the sports world, Lord, but in society as a whole, Lord. Just give us that wisdom and grace, and we thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Have a great night.